Hello world, welcome to another episode of the Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Astrid Wild. Hi Astrid. Hello. I'm so happy to have you finally after a few months. This has been a few months in the making and I'm very interested in hearing about an idea that's been helping you live well. Yeah, so the thing that I want to talk about today uh, is going to maybe sound familiar to anybody that uh, has lived in and around the uh, rationalist worlds or in and around the libertarian conferences um, or uh, social engineering, if you're familiar with it. Um, but the, the idea that I want to talk about is commonly referred to as nonviolent communication, and that is the name of uh, the framework itself, it's also the name of a book uh, by a guy called Marshall Rosenberg who came up with this framework after years as uh, a practicing uh, psychologist. And uh, it, I think it's also the name of his institute. So nonviolent communication is uh, the thing. And it's broken down into four, the framework is four steps. The first step is observations. Uh, the second step is feelings, the third is needs, and the last is a request. So mm -hmm. this is the reason that I, I compare this to uh, anybody who's familiar with AI and uh, prompt engineering right now. Prompt engineering is this uh, way of trying to get a, a, a large language model to get the output that you want it. Mm. Um, so there's these, the popular ones right now are like Dolly, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, uh, where you're you're putting in some text and you get an image generated, and uh, there's some finickiness to it. Where if you put in slightly different words than you'd expect, uh, you can get closer to the outcome you actually want, even if that's mm. the words that would first come to your mind. Um, and this whole the 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 weird art of like trying and figuring out over this has come to be known as prompt engineering. And, and I basically think of nonviolent communication as the same kind of thing, but for humans. So uh, you could totally say that this is a framework, the nonviolent communication framework is a framework for actually understanding what's going on somewhere in the brain, somewhere in the soul. You could say it's real, or you could say it's useful. Uh, and that's basically where I stand. And I think whether or not it's actually true, if, whatever you think that word means, uh, it has allowed me uh, more deep relationship with myself and with the people around me. Uh, hmm. it's, a, it's, it's taken my communication level to a, a totally different level than it was before I encountered the, the framework. So I'll, I'll, I'll go through each step of the framework. Um, yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be great, and um, yeah, at some point I'll definitely have to hear the the four um, tenets again. But uh, I'm interested in when you mentioned like a, a making a big change in your life and helping you understand yourself better. Um, when around when in your lifetime is this happening? When you come across this idea, and what is the thing that it that it contrasts with that? Yeah. You know, the, the violent communication, I assume, <laughs> that was happening before. What was that like? Yeah, so I, I first encountered Marshall Rosenberg's work um, through a friend group uh, when I was 14. And at the time, uh, I was living in Germany with my parents and three younger sisters. 
and was very much looking for a way to communicate better. That was my actual goal at the time was how do I, there, there was something happening and I didn't, I couldn't put words to it at the time. And I still kind of struggle um, to define it. What was, what was the disconnect where I would mm. be having an interaction with, with somebody and I wouldn't be able to identify a moment where things went wrong, but clearly something did because they would start to get angry um, mm. or get, get upset at me or the way that I said something or what I said. Um, and this, this happened with my, with my parents, this, this happened with my sisters, this happened with my friends. Um, and this also created a barrier for friendships with a lot of people that I, and I just didn't understand what was going on. And I wanted to understand what was going on so that I didn't have this problem. Uh, and I could have access to, to more people in my friend network and, uh, be able to better love the people around me. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's really interesting. So what you're describing basically is a situation where you know what the intention is for you, mm -hmm. like the point with where you want to go with someone, but then to you, it comes out as something that's out of the blue that triggers them. And mm -hmm. it's, it, it's something topical, like it's a, it's a moment in time or a certain sentence, presumably, or a certain encounter. Like it's not, so you're basically saying that in your understanding, you tend to say things that are out of place, but you couldn't identify yeah. the thing. Yeah. That's very much at the time what it felt like. Like I was, I would be having a, what I thought was a normal conversation and then somebody would get really angry at me and I didn't know what had happened that had, that I, what, where did with the miscommunication happen? Mm -hmm. um, and clearly it was with me. I like, I, it's even at 14, I accepted like, this is my fault. I'm doing something wrong. This, I, I don't, witness this happening to most other people when I'm observing people having a conversation. Uh -huh. So what's, what's uh -huh. going on? Um, yeah, so I was so, very uh, much searching for a solution. Yeah. So how, how, how did you go about Were you methodical about it? Like running uh, sort of experiments or how did you go about finding out oh, yeah. what it is? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much, uh, I love social experiments. I do them to, to this day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when there's low consequences, uh, and, it, it's sometimes afterwards I'll tell somebody if it was like a really drastic experience or experiment, like, uh, I'll have a, a, I'll go into a conversation just to see what happens. And like, I'm not going to say no to this person. Like I'm going to drop all boundaries for this conversation and whatever I feel like they're, they're needing or requesting from me, I will go out of my way to say yes. And I won't tell them that. And we'll have a conversation and like, like I'll honor whatever I said and go on. But like, I wanted to want to see what would, what, what, how that changes the conversation. If no is not an option um, or just weird, random things like that. I've always done like little experiments, um, but there was never a methodical, oh, here's this system of communicating. Here's this. Uh, framework for communicate. I I wasn't thinking about it like that. I was more thinking, I didn't have one at all, uh, and I very much started looking for one. So I read a lot of books, um, on like psychology books, uh, neuroscience stuff, 
just for fun. Um, but also I was homeschooled. So this was very normal for me when I got curious about a thing, I would just start reading it and learning it. Um, and so when I would ask my mom, for example, for books on things, sometimes I would give her a list of books. Sometimes I would just say, I want to learn about X. Uh, and then a month later, a bunch of books on X would show up. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was like really young, this would be like, I wanted to learn about reptiles, uh, like everything that I can about reptiles. And so one day we went to the library and I checked out like 20 books on reptiles <laughs> and I yep. read them all. <laughs> I, wow. I, I, I so know that, that place. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is just what I did at 14 was I need to understand communicating. Yeah, I, I also love how, you know, some people and you're among them, it's like there's a certain class of people that is like the weirder and more esoteric the interest, the the less, the least surprising it is for me to hear from them. <laughs> like I was interested in this. It's like, yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. And so if we, you know, obviously I think at some point we're going to to talk about the, the framework itself and presumably you've identified in the end what it was that you would say and, and make these relationships sour. But if we kept it as more of a detective novel, so yeah. what, what, what were some of the places that told you that you, you were on some bright track? What were some of the things that told me I was on the right track? Hmm. And, you know, maybe, maybe the integration was quick and there aren't obvious things, but yeah. at least I'm going to try like finding out things that made you go, hmm, oh yeah, this like rings true. I, I can point, I can, because I was reading so much at the time, I remember like a series of books that I found really helpful at the time. The first one that I actually found really uh, interesting and I guess kept my curiosity and gave me even expanded it was a book called The Manual, which is written by a, uh, a Zen Buddhist woman, and it's a, a parenting book. And I won't go into her framework of uh, parenting and uh, psychology and religion, but at the very beginning of that book, in the first or second chapter, she, she goes into a little bit of uh, this field called psychohistory for anybody who's interested in what I'm about to say, I recommend uh, tread carefully because things can get really dark. Um, okay. <laughs> but psychohistory is the study of the history of ideas around psychology and child rearing specifically. So the most famous person in this field is called Lloyd DeMaus and he has, a, a, all of his books are in the public domain now. Um, he's very prolific, but he's written things like the history of child abuse. Um, and if you ever wanted to realize like how far we've come, humanity has come in just the last couple of thousand years and how violent people used to be to children and how normal that was. Um, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, but in the very, in the very first chapter of this book called the manual, uh, the author talks about the parenting philosophies that were most popular at the time that uh, all of the Nazis that later came to power would have been ch young children. What were their parents, how were their parents mm -hmm. all raising them? Um, and it turns out that uh, the advice that was 
popular and that we know Hitler's, uh, at least father, read, uh, was a book that I forget the name of, uh, that basically encouraged, uh, it was written by a German author and at the time was the best uh, selling book in Germany. <laughs> and the advice for raising children was included things like putting them in, in uh, bathing them in ice water, uh, locking them in closets for long periods of time without food, uh, and basically like torturing children in order to oh create God. a more like hardy German. Um, and it's, it was very eerie to read this wow. stuff and then go like see the direct uh, product of like how these people were raised is exactly what they saw out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw a little bit of that in myself in the way that I was raised, not quite to that degree. Um, but the, my parents were not very good at communicating, <laughs> Uh, mm. maybe surprise, surprise or not surprising. Uh, and I've, I very much had this moment where I realized that I'm just communicating the way that I've always seen my mom communicate. And just cause I didn't, I never thought of anything of it until that moment mm -hmm. really. Right. Um, but I was very much just mirroring what had been, uh, done and said to me, to other people. And suddenly I was like, wait, I don't have to do this. Right. Uh, yeah. And that, so that was like a, a, probably the first moment of uh, a kind of psychological breakthrough for me of like, I'm on to something. I'm on the right track. Now I, now I need to get a thing. I know there's a, a better thing. Uh, and I had this, I grasped onto this thing as an explanation of why I am the way that I am at the time, which is a story that I was telling myself that you could say is true or mm -hmm. not true, but it was useful in, um, for me at the time. Yeah, it's so interesting how this thought in some lives never appears, right? It's it, the thought of like, I don't have to be like that. I can be something else. And it's, I'm really interested in, in how it arises in people. And, you know, as you say, we, I know there's a lot of debate on free will. Does it exa exist? Whatever. But I think personally that free will is a phenomenon that kind of has a causal effect, whether we actually decide later on, like have free will, or maybe it's just a way for nature to make sure that we don't always repeat what we did last time, which is also great. And it's really interesting that, um, I find that to be the beginning of any good of any possibility of living well, right? Is actually not feeling, I'm saying not feeling because again, we're not going to go into free will, but I'm saying not feeling that you have to be a certain way is, mm -hmm. um, and so in a sense, it is very important to have a notion that you are in control of your actions. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, Nonviolent communication is something you come across and then how does it relate to your style of communication up till then? Uh, what is the big epiphany there? I, I'm not sure how to answer that question. What is the big epiphany? I, I mean, there... what, what is the clear, what is the, the, the alternate path that it's kind of illuminating that you're suddenly, oh, well, I, I could 
do that and I've been walking down this path and I can mm. go down that path. It, it when I read the book the first time I uh kind of it seemed cheesy and like weird and it's kind of quirky and it was the the entire way that the author talks is uh a different way of speaking um in uh in in common english we we talk a lot in terms of uh judgments we make a lot constantly make we make judgments and we we have all of these labels uh that are that are words that have a kind of moral weight to them um that we just use all of the time in regular speech and the mm -hmm. author didn't use any of them and it was clear there's clearly deliberate um and part of putting on the framework is speaking without using the the language that that has these kind of moral judgments to them and 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 some of the judgments couldn't aren't necessarily even moral like if i say i am a doctor mm -hmm. that's that is me putting on a hat and saying something about myself that i want that because i want you to treat me differently right but that's not like if I if something happened to my brain and suddenly I forgot all of my medical training, that doesn't imply like something has clearly changed about me, but I'm still like a person that has value. The the being a doctor is mm -hmm. is this thing that's like a you're trying to elevate yourself as an authority on something. Or if you say uh, so and so is a liar, right? Liar is a thing that very much has a it's a judgment that has moral weight to it. Um, but like that, if you are having a conversation with somebody and you accuse them of, of telling you a lie, that immediately puts them into a defensive frame. Whereas if you're having a conversation with somebody and you don't have to use the word lie, you just say, Hey, here's this thing that I observed. And here's this other thing that I observed. What's happening there. Can you explain that to me? people don't immediately put on this uh, mm -hmm. suit of armor, right? And so as I'm reading this book, I'm like, wow, this is, this is kind of weird. Like, isn't this like way more simple to just talk about what's going on? Or like, why do we have to go out of our way to avoid these judgment words? And, right. and uh, but I gave it a chance and I uh, deliberately did this, this kind of several week long experiment where I was like, I'm going to, in every interaction, I'm going to use this framework, even if it's weird and awkward. And uh, and pretty quickly, I noticed that the way that people were talking to me was totally different. And uh, I was just like, "Oh, okay. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't have an explanation for why what's happening is happening. But whatever it is, this is great." <laughs> yeah. I love it. And so I assume that, you know, for you yourself in your inner dialogue, you don't need the technique because you're fine with assessing things as they are. If you see yourself, if you perceive the truth to be that you are inadequate in something, you would just tell that yourself and deal with it. And other people would not, would not be, um, so welcoming of this type of criticism, like with yourself, 
you were just being the old way or, or has it changed your inner monologue as well? I don't have an inner monologue, so I can't really, (laughs) I can't answer this question in maybe the way that you're asking. Um, Like when I'm, when I'm going through life and I'm having a thought, it's, it's not like I am hearing a voice in my head that's telling me something. Uh, There's just always this, always this kind of background uh, ether happening. And as I'm moving through the world or having conversations, I like pluck things out of the ether. Like uh, this is not me. I'm not hearing a voice in my head saying the things that I'm saying to you before I'm saying them. Um, wow. I didn't realize I was in the presence of a, of a blessed one. <laughs> this so, is pretty amazing. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that I don't have like a story that I'm telling myself about myself or other people. Right. Mm-hmm. If somebody lies to me uh, pretty consistently, like I'm not going to trust that person. Uh, Makes sense. And I probably will make that judgment that I shouldn't trust that person much earlier than most people would. (laughs) But there was a time in my life, uh, even after I encountered this, um, that I very much didn't make that judgment call. Um, I don't think that that had anything to do with nonviolent communication per se. That was just more of a product of me not valuing myself enough to set boundaries with other people. But I, my relationship to myself also did change in a big way, thanks to nonviolent communication, because Mm. it gave me a tool set for understanding my own feelings uh, that I didn't have before. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this, you know, people's acceptance or unacceptance of criticism or of, you know, seeing themselves as an object, you know, that we are most of us, most of us are dualists. I think we can, we can, we're a subject that can see itself as an object and, you know, have, have some harsh words for itself at times. And it, it does seem that some people at least really can take any sort of, of criticism. And that's, that's a question is like, should you, um, change your behavior or do something? And then you understand, I mean, the whole thought that, other people are quite different from you. I think is, Mm. is not many people actually realize this. I I remember it being kind of important for me growing up. I think I realized that adverts don't really work on me. You know, if I hear an advertisement, I have such an anti anti towards it, you know, that I just turn it off or I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm not going to get this thing or anything like that. And then throughout my life, I'm thinking, it's like, wait, but these work, like these companies, they pay a lot of money to have the advertisements, you know, so it must work. And then oh. it, it took me, you know, only in my, only through adolescence or something, I realized it was like other people do, they stay, they get hooked by it and they listen to the end. And then by the end, they treat it as a pretty convincing argument. It was like, why they need that thing. It's like, this is very different from me, but I can't deny that this is what's happening. And then I was like, oh, there are all sorts of people out there, you know, that are not me. And it's, and, and then that, that picks your curiosity because I, I do want to establish, like you were saying, I do want to establish a, a relationship and a harmonious relationship with that with these people. I do want to be 
their friend, you know, and there is merit in um, speaking about stuff which I wouldn't necessarily be naturally inclined to learn a lot about, but in the name of having this relationship, which fills me with so much joy, like I'm actually going to talk about fashion or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. So that's just like a, a, a thought that, that came to my mind. Um, yeah. But if, if we go back to nonviolent communication in terms of the implementation, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Do you want me to just go through briefly the, the, the yeah, actual sure. framework? Okay. Might so as well. The four steps to, to reiterate are an observation, a feeling, a need, and a request. So the first step is to make an observation without judgment. Uh, and that includes words, that includes labeling things. So if words, even as in seemingly inane as referring to somebody as a doctor or uh, making statements that have moral language like liar or uh, that, in that includes making assumptions about intentions, that all of that is verboten. <laughs> no, you're just <laughs> making a statement of fact that anybody is, that's inarguable, right? Like today I noticed there was a bowl in the sink that wasn't washed. Mm -hmm. That's a statement of fact, right? If I said, I could say the same thing usually how most people would say this is like, hey, you didn't wash the dishes. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're assuming an intention, a responsibility, uh, and you're immediately, and, and that, the way that that's going to be received is as an accusation. Like mm -hmm. the person is going to feel like, oh no, I, either I messed up or you think that I messed up. And like, that's like, that is a, the language of violence, uh, as Rosenberg mm -hmm. would say. Uh, whereas me saying, hey, today I noticed there, there was a bowl in the sink that wasn't washed. It, that's not a thing that anybody can argue with. I didn't make any accusation towards you. Um, that the, the fact that there is a bowl in the sink is, is not washed is inarguable. Okay. And if I wanted to make a, uh, the next, if I wanted to move to the next step in nonviolent communication, then I, then I would say my feeling. So, Hey, there's a, there's a bowl in the sink that wasn't washed. Uh, when I saw that this morning, I felt something. And you could say how that made you feel. Like, I felt stressed. You could say, okay, again, I haven't made any accusation uh, towards anybody. I have accepted full responsibility for my own feelings, my own inner world. There's something, I'm saying there's something going on inside of me. There's not, not anything happening with some, anything to do with anybody else. Um, and then if I move to the next step, uh, which is needs, uh, you are, if you, if I was talking about myself, I would relate the thing that I felt to something that is going on. Uh, there's an emptiness somewhere inside of me. Uh, or if I was talking about, uh, if I was in a conversation with somebody else, um, which is where I think nonviolent communication is most useful. If somebody else came to me and said, hey, there's, there's dishes in, in the sink uh, that were dirty, that were unwashed. I noticed that, that I felt kind of stressed. And if they say like, I have this deep psychological need 
for uh, to feel safe. Uh, again, I can't argue with anything going on there. Most people are not in the habit of speaking in, in nonviolent communication, though. So usually mm -hmm. they would say it the, how I started this of like, hey, I noticed you didn't do the dishes yesterday. Mm -hmm. So if I'm receiving this and I'm using the nonviolent communication framework, my first thought is to resist the temptation to put up the armor and go, what is happening inside of this person that in, in this communication and to receive all communications in terms of this framework, in terms of, okay, what's going on? What's the what's going on? What's the observation? There is there is dishes in the sink that were dirty. What is the feeling going on there? It's it has to do probably and this it, this comes to down to some guesswork. So like I would guess maybe there's something to do with stress there, um, or tr or or maybe uh, they have a need to for trust uh, and that somehow the dish is not being done has violated their ability to trust me or something. So they have a deep psychological need. This is me completely hypothesizing. I'm making this, I'm making up a story for what I think is going on. Um, so if I hear somebody tell, tell me that there's, hey, you didn't do the dishes yesterday. My job in, is to try and uh, turn my guests into something uh, more than a guess. So I would, I would ask this person, Hey, how did that make you feel that there weren't dishes done so that I don't, I don't even have to do any guesswork and mm -hmm. I can just listen. What's, what's, what are you feeling right now? And trying to connect with the feeling inside of you. Why, why, and, and coming up with this, this story that, uh, what's going on inside of them that needs, uh, their need is unmet. Um, and how can I better serve this person's needs? Um, and it might come, it might be the case, as is often the case, that two people in having a conversation, even using the framework, have uh, needs that are not necessarily compatible. Mm -hmm. Right? Let's say uh, somebody has a need for, I guess, sticking to the dishes example. Somebody has a need for security and the way that 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 need strong need for security manifests is that like their house needs to be organized or else they feel like there's chaos going around and they're they don't feel safe in their own home right uh and i'm on the other hand might be a person living in the same home where i need to feel uh the same thing sense of security but my way of, of needing to feel safe, secure is that uh i can do whatever i want in my own home. And so like, that means taking off my pants as soon as I walk in the door and leaving them there <laughs> because I need to feel safe in my own home. And that need for security because people are different has manifested itself in two opposing ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you resolve them? And this comes down to the request uh, is where the resolution is. So first of all, when you're in a process with somebody and you're using the framework, even if they aren't, uh, the you connecting with the feeling and the need happening inside of them, or you telling them the, the feelings and needs that are happening inside of you already resolves like 90% of what's going on because most people just have this need to feel heard to mm -hmm. and acknowledged and seen on some deep level. And just the, the you making a sincere effort to connect with them 
like resolves any other psychological issues. Sometimes it isn't though. Uh, and for the cases when like that isn't uh, enough, then you make the good move to the fourth step, which is making a request. Uh, and it's really important that you are at a place, if you're making a request of somebody, that this is a nonviolent request, right? That means no coercion. That means you are totally fine if no matter what this person responds to you, that there's no obligations tied to this. And in fact, there's no mm -hmm. consequences to the other person saying no or yes or yes conditionally. Um, that this doesn't have anything to, them not honoring a request doesn't mean they don't love you. And similarly, like receiving a request doesn't obligate you to, to perform whatever somebody's asking from you. Um, and so it's using the same language, right? So just going through the, the four parts again, you start with making an observation without judgment. That means no words that identify responsibility anywhere outside of yourself uh, and no words that contain moral language. You, you identify a feeling happening inside of you or, and the other person. Uh, you move to what is, the, what is the unmet need happening to cause that feeling inside of you and the other person, and then making a request uh, that is not conditioned on anything uh, is the framework of nonviolent communication. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the things, the, the thing that came intuitively to mind is, and again, it's, I won't be surprised to hear that my experience is atypical, but, um, just because you change the words, mm. people actually don't perceive it as an attack, even though it's, it almost it almost sounds like a manufactured way of like not saying the obvious thing, but intuitively I would think it's like, oh, this person is trying really hard not to make it sound like they accuse me, but they yeah. are, you know? And, and that's a big part of the framework too, is like, there's, there's, a, there's a way to perform nonviolent communication that's totally divorced from it. Mm -hmm. So if, okay. uh, if you, went through the actions of putting the changing the words but your goal is the same if your goal is to perform uh, a thing where like i'm trying to manipulate you to do what i want mm -hmm. to, uh, better and nonviolent communication is a tool set that you could use to manipulate people around you more effectively absolutely and i've seen it done lots of times uh hmm. and if, and then you could accuse me of like uh any all number of of things and i could fall back on this no see i'm using i'm not i didn't use any language of judgments and and but the important thing is to know sincere sincerely the goal is to change your way of thinking about your relationship mm -hmm. to other people mm -hmm. and you are sincerely taking full responsibility for everything happening inside of you you are acknowledging that other people don't cause feelings the world cannot cause a feeling to happen inside of you only you are responsible and can and cause the feelings because of story that you have about the world. Um, and maybe your needs are different than other people, or maybe they manifest themselves in different ways. But again, that's all happening inside of you. And you can make requests to other people to, to accommodate you uh, in a way that would uniquely demonstrate uh, you would, that would uniquely uh, account for your 
specific needs. Um, but there is sincerely no obligation always. Uh, and this, like, you, you have to come into this from a place of unconditional love or it doesn't work. And it will just lead to people, like you're saying, conflict, but at a deeper level <laughs> uh, and manipulation that's more effective. Uh, and that's really dangerous. <laughs> So it's yeah. a, it's a hit, like a hammer, right? You can use it to bash somebody's face in, or you could use right. it to build a house. Right. So it's um, possibly nonviolent communication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Preferably, preferably nonviolent communication. Yeah, I like it. I mean, the the washing dishes example is not foreign to me. Okay, because I can be, <laughs> I can be in my head, and I can be way into reading about reptiles for a longer while than necessary as an adult. And, you know, maybe, maybe some dishes will be left in the, in the sink. Yeah. And it, it took me a while to think about it and realize that sometimes really the stock options of the stock behaviors that we come with into a relationship, right? Mm. It's, some people are like so blessed and so lucky that, you know, maybe it's just all the loops that it creates are sort of like fitting in a wonderful way. But I think for most of us, what happens is that, as you say, we come with some baggage that has to do around this type of thing, right? And we just kind of mindlessly reproduce it in our own lives as adults. And yeah, for me, this was actually getting flagged for not doing the dishes since I was young because I've always been this person who's prone to reading for a long time and, and yeah. you know, like forgetting to eat and just like grabbing anything <laughs> to eat and not eating the healthy thing because I just want to get on with my studies or whatever. And then I think for my wife, it's a, there's a lot in her family about... um yeah, this like, I don't know. I don't want to speak for her, but I, I, at some point when I became more aware of how I am, and then you could say that it made me think about how to approach things in, in less of um explosive way, which is basically yeah. you're saying like diffusing the situation. Then I realized that, you know, first of all, I need to kind of, not do my thing and realize that I think for her, if something doesn't get done, is she doesn't need another thing in her life where, because she, she feels obligated to do whatever is necessary around the house. Right. So as you say, it's very much part of your example. It's stressful to find more and more things when you really feel like you've done enough and now there's more things, right? So, and it's also um, potentially, I'm not going to speak for her, but for a lot of people, I think it's it's going to be like they they can hear in their own mind the parent of their uh, the the voice of their of their parent or something like that, um, you know, telling them off for not doing this or reprimanding them or something like that, and then they want to deflect that. And a good way of deflecting that is actually, you know, acting in a way that that is triggering towards a person like me, who's just like, you know, very naively not doing it. Right. There's no intention. I was like, I don't want to disappoint anyone or anything like that. And, 
It's my tendency. And I see that actually something like that could be one of the things that are going to take the most time to actually um, realign, rearrange, yeah. re reform, you know, and because it's and ultimately rewire our brains to go out of these loops. It takes a lot of awareness and a lot of intention from yeah. uh, both parties. But I really appreciate that aspect of nonviolent communication that it tells us to stop and look and starts with looking and you know we have to first um stop acting automatically um in our own minds so that we may be able to help people really get out of their own kind of mindless loops mm -hmm. yeah i it's it took uh it's this this is a, a mindset that very much took months for for it to click <laughs> in my own brain even though i was doing it uh and like getting a better having better interactions with people and also connecting with people on a deeper level just immediately mm -hmm. because you go from having conversations that are at a, at a certain level and then you are talking about feelings and you're going to another depth and you're just talking about needs and like I, I wasn't quite prepared for the level of closeness that it brought in some of my relationships and the, how quickly that happened um, as a consequence, because most people are so like used to not being heard and not talking about their feelings and needs that like had a lot of friends that broke down crying, <laughs> like my first time trying to use this framework with them. Um, and that was really beautiful, but also it was a lot. <laughs> to handle for me all at once. Uh, and I, and I was very naive as in my implementation of this and, and didn't draw boundaries nearly enough. Um, uh, and didn't make enough requests <laughs> of people. Um, and it, but I still, it still requires constant practice and I still go back to it and I read the book multiple times a year. Uh, and I have, like reflection periods where I sit down and I'm like, okay, what did I like, where, where am I going wrong in this? Like, hmm. what am I, did I, did I notice myself using a lot of judgment words recently? Did I, uh, no, did I do a good job in, in the specific conversations of connecting with the feeling inside of them or were my guesses about this person's needs? Right. And, and as, as I've gotten, as time has gone on, um, I, am much more intentional about when I verbalize parts of the framework. And so I've, most of it is not verbal for me anymore. And I've noticed enough patterns in people that I can pr pretty well guess like, what the what the feeling and the need happening inside of somebody is as I'm having a conversation. And I don't need to ask them if that's correct. I just operate on the assumption that it is and take kind of the next logical step. And that has alleviated some of the pressure of having somebody have a mental breakdown on me every time I have a conversation with them. Um, but it, and, and also it's led to people uh, really, really surprised when I tell them about nonviolent communication because their experience of nonviolent communication is somebody trying to plug in this formula uh, and talking in a way that's very unnatural and mm -hmm. for the purpose of trying to get something out of them. And 
So there, I've had I've had a lot of people that are really surprised when I when I say that like no, this is the thing that I'm constantly doing and thinking about because I don't hmm. I don't verbalize it uh, very often anymore. Yeah, yeah. For me, you know, in my life, I can already see. Um, I think you know that I do dialectic, and it's it's basically about um, asking people about their concepts and really trying to figure out how they view the world, what concepts do they apply um, operating in the world. And I remember, you know, when I just started doing dialectic with um, with Ivor, my mentor, I was so uh, my my mind was blown and I was so sold on it because I saw what it did for me. Like it did a lot of good for me. It allowed me to see the world in a much more beautiful way and understand a, a lot more of, of the logic and, and, uh, or <laughs> illogic in the beginning in my own <laughs> mind, but sort it out and have a much more understanding of the world later. So I could, my life became easier and I actually became capable of listening to other people. Yeah. But as I was listening to them and understanding and realizing that, you know, within asking just three or four questions that are actually pointed at the inconsistencies that people have when it comes to ideas, you very quickly can identify um, inconsistencies in concepts. And then a good dialectician's purpose is really to then bring it to the attention of the person so that right. they may begin to untangle the thing and also be benefited by it, right? But if you don't do it with something like non-violent uh, communication, which I intend to read, read now that I hear all the praise about it. Um, well, I actually, that's what I did in the beginning. You know, I was just yeah. like super challenging about this stuff. And was like, look, these two things, they don't. Oh, so what are you going to say now? You're going to say this and this at the same time. It was like, doesn't sit together. And I'm like, oh, I'm a dialectician. I'm helping them. It's like, <laughs> well, no, they got angry, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so. That is that is much closer to the mode that I was operating in until I was about fourteen. Uh, it was very, very similar. It was not as deliberate, but it was. I was very much in the habit of like, wait, but didn't you just say this thing? So how do you square this circle? And that was just like normal for me, and that's just how I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and I didn't yeah, realize so the way that that was being received was. Like if somebody did that to me, I was like, "Oh wow, you're right. Oh, that's so interesting, man. I have to think right, about this." But is other fascinating. People, Thank other you. People Thank you for this, pointing. Yeah, yeah, other people didn't see it as a gift. They saw it as a threat because they had their identity wrapped up in 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 these ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I think that's where it really um, the point lands with me. Is you know, you it's it's definitely a tool in the toolkit of a communicator mm. who's looking to do good in the world. You have to keep your audience or your friends, your friends, you know, you can't. <laughs> um, but this is so interesting because I feel, you know, we both had to go through this journey of um, yeah. understanding that people are, are different, like, and, and then seeing, and then it's actually, it's actually really good because now, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by how people can be so vastly different from one another. And, and um, also, 
you know, tread so lightly so that you can find where people are getting triggered, actually using a lot more nuance in speech so that you can see it's like, oh, now I know if I, if I went a little bit deeper than that, it would be too much. But if I stop here, that can be tongue in cheek. I can wink at them and it's like all fine, you know, and they get it. They're able to actually, they, they will be able to actually go there later and think about because this was all in good fun and it didn't get to this situation where somebody blew up and, and felt like their um, mm. whole identity was kind of stripped away from them. Um, so it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Did you actually introduce it to other people who have kind of come to also adopt it as a oh, yeah. mode of, of communication. Yeah. Everybody that you I have. have okay. Before, before you say, I have to say you are used, <laughs> you are an expert. Like if you told me on anything, I'm usually a very critical thinker, but I don't know, for some reason it's like, if you told me something, I, I would go for it for sure. But yeah, keep going. you have I, this thing about you. I, uh, I have purchased probably over 20 copies of this book now. Uh, I've given it to everybody that I've ever dated, uh, everybody that I've ever lived with, um, and a lot of friends as they've started having kids. I'll give it to them as a uh, as a gift as well. Um, and it, th th this is a this is a gift for anybody who who reads this book and gets really excited about it in the way that I have. Uh, I have to forewarn you that giving somebody a gift called nonviolent communication can be received yeah. as an accusation. <laughs> but because uh, uh, that most people uh, don't take kindly to you telling them that they communicate violently, <laughs> it turns out. Even, and, and you don't even, that, that couldn't even, might not even be your intention, but just handing them a book with this title, nonviolent communication. So be careful as you're giving this as a gift. Uh, I have to go through a whole series of like, hey, here's the, there's this book that I found really useful, and I have to go through this whole disclaimer before I give somebody a book. I can't just have it show up at their house uh, with my mailing address. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Because then it will be not not received well sometimes. Uh, so maybe yeah. maybe the title of the book should be Je ne pas <laughs> something like that. I, well, I to, almost, to, to refer to the old uh, Emile Zola essay. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of wish that it had a different title. Uh, well, if for nothing else, then I didn't have to go through as much of a disclaimer when I'm, when I'm recommending it to people. But yeah, so uh, some of the people that I have given it to have, uh, one of them is writing a book now that incorporates nonviolent communication uh, in practice. She's uh on her last year of her PhD in education. Um, and her area of expertise is uh, education when it comes to sports and, and competition. Um, and so she is using the framework of, of nonviolent communication for trying to figure out how to uh, have uh, sports communication happen more effectively um, mm. so, and reduce conflict, like both within teams and between opposing teams um, and also using nonviolent communication as a framework in a classroom. Um, and so just that more people, people are more receptive to, to learning. 
Um, so that's like a super cool thing that I had something yeah. to do with tangentially by just saying, here's this wonderful book. Let's talk about it when you're done reading it. Uh, and then there's a whole, a, a number of friends that like have had children and have found it really rewarding and have feel like they were able to really deepen their relationships with their children because of the book that I feel I'm very lucky to have played a part in. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you're a true evangelist of the, of the <laughs> attitude. Uh, what about the, the other extreme? Are, are some people just going to view everything as an accusation and are not to be reasoned with? Uh, I haven't encountered that. Sometimes you get people that are, uh, what's the word? I call them prickly that like, if you're, if you don't, aren't appropriately careful in the very, very beginning that like, they'll just write you off as right at the gate. Um, this happened recently. Actually, this was all online interaction. I have this mm. recurring joke with a, a bunch of friends where when they say something silly and sarcastic that like, they obviously didn't mean but I'll reply in a silly and sarcastic way of saying like lies and deceit, like, <laughs> <laughs> lies and deceit like like uh, just as an acknowledgement that like i understand you're being silly and i'm being mm -hmm. silly back to you it turns out right. that sarcasm is never read on the internet uh no. <laughs> well and uh so i had somebody that that i i said this to that i hadn't yet met in person um but that i consider like a part of my friend network that didn't receive it well and like has completely written me off because of a, a joke that I made uh, that she didn't realize was a joke. And she thought I was accusing her of lying and she, when she was just being silly and I was like, no, that was the joke. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Um, maybe that doesn't necessarily have something to do with nonviolent communication, but I think everything does. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, I think it, I mean, to me, it makes sense that some people are going to be, um, yeah, just because of life circumstances, you know, and the, yeah. the point here is this is not to say, oh, some people are terrible and impossible and that, but, no, yeah, you know, so, some people are, ve are very easily triggered. And I imagine there's a subset of the population who, you know, take offense with anything. So, yeah, it, uh, it's my. <laughs> On, on this topic of, of nonviolent communication gone wrong, though, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier where. Uh, the, the tool set can be used, absolutely can be used to more effectively manipulate people if that's your goal. Um, so at least one, maybe two of the people that I ended up giving the book to just used it to more effectively manipulate people around them and control people's, uh, like try, used it to try and control people's emotions and gaslight them and, uh, get the outcome they wanted and like, they're they're very much going using this as a tool in the in the tool belt of unconditional of conditional love and, and violent communication. Mm. Um, just but they are doing it under the guise of uh, I'm using these this precise language and um, so when people say like hey this person's acting in bad faith they they fall back and they're like no see I'm using this thing that you guys all agree is a good thing and like I haven't. And, and they'll even use, respond to that, even in the tools of nonviolent communication. So, and so this happened actually with a friend of mine. Um, I, I guess I had a friendship breakup with about six months ago where um, he 
was violating a boundary of mine and he, he used the tools of nonviolent communication to make a request. And I said, I wouldn't mm. honor it. Um, and he's like, Oh, well, can you explain to me why? Like, what's the, what, what are you feeling right now? And I was like, no, I, I don't, I'm drawing a boundary here. <laughs> I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to respond to this. I think mm-hmm, that this mm-hmm, is in mm-hmm. bad faith and I'm happy to have a real conversation when you want to have that. Um, which he didn't respond to well, obviously, but like the things had escalated to a point in that um, interaction and relationship where it was clear that no matter any boundary I set, he was going to try and use these tools to to get his way around it and fall back on them as mm. whenever I had a response that he didn't like. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting because I think that in order for us to guard ourselves against psychopaths, you know, who are few, but they are around. So if anybody watches something like the Tinder Swindler or any or any any kind of documentary on people like that, you know, who manage to get people to do as they bid, mm. it's interesting because the best people and the worst people are going to be good listeners. Right. (laughs) So, so if somebody's listening to you, if somebody's not listening to you, um, there's, there's a ceiling to how good your relationship is going to be. There's also a floor to like how low it could get. Right. But with people who are good listeners, it's so interesting because there's something so, uh, magical about somebody's listening to me. Mm. Right. But then psychopaths and sociopaths are actually this is what they're going to do. They're going to promise and probably at least for a limited amount of time, deliver the things that you said you want. And just like, this is amazing. This person is listening to me. Right. And a lot of the times, um, the, the change that they're going to undergo as, as partners is, is going to be too confusing for people to notice, to realize that, oh, the, the times when they actually um, listen to me are, are long gone and they're now operating only to get my stuff or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. But it's, it's, a, it's a trait I find um, really interesting, how you, you have to be a good listener, both to be a really good person to other people, but really beneficial, and also to be uh, the most harmful is somebody who knows how to listen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I mentioned this earlier, but I don't or I don't know how familiar you are though personally Al, with um uh what's what's the word? The the social science uh what 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 is it called? Wow, my brain literally just turned off. Uh sometimes <laughs> in the ether the word just doesn't appear and I don't know what to do in those cases. <laughs> Uh, Ether. <laughs> uh, in the social science psychopathology. Oh, yeah, well, there's so uh, there's this whole like science. Um, it's hacker use hackers use it um, to uh, when you're doing a, a hacking attack. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of forms of uh, of attack, and most people think of hacking as uh, using a form of technology, a technological exploit to get access to information that uh, was protected or that the user didn't want shared, right? Um, uh, but hacking is much more broad. Uh, hacking is not limited to just using a, a technological exploit. Humans are actually mm. 
in most case, in most systems, uh, the most vulnerable point in a chain. So if you have a computer system, for example, and you have this this series of firewalls, and you have a series of of passwords and two-factor authentication, and uh, but that entire system relies on one or two people just mm -hmm. inputting those things. Uh, then it's much easier <laughs> to just manipulate the person to do all the things that you need them to do to get into the system than it is to actually hack the system. And so hacking the person uh, right. is the most effective in, and most good hackers know this and take advantage of this. Um, and so this the science of human hacking uh, is something that I've studied because I found myself being on the other end of it, <laughs> uh, mm. being somebody that was... Uh, manipulated and taken advantage of because I didn't, I had four boundaries as I made, mentioned earlier. Uh, I already had this tendency to, to not say no to people because I, I have this genuine love in my heart for so many people uh, that I want to share. And uh, once I understand how people want me to, how people best feel loved, then like my natural inclination is to just like love on them. Uh, yeah. And, People who are uh, not well-intentioned can figure that out pretty easily uh, and had taken advantage of me. And so I wanted to, to arm myself against that and understand how, how it is that psychopaths, sociopaths, and uh, hackers are like taking advantage of, of me and people like me. And so I studied this science, which I'm still spacing the name of, but... Psycho hacking. Oh, wow. We'll find it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think I think the best um, way to learn about hacking uh, through people is look at this wonderful genre of uh, YouTube videos of people counter scamming scammers. In... Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a really good example because they know how the scammers hack people, and then they hack mm. the scammers. Um, and the scammers are shown to be just as likely to be hacked because there's something about the strangeness of the situation where something yeah. unexpected happens, you know, and they have to, they have to tell you is like, don't hang up, not because they need you not to hang up. They can do the stuff, but it's like, they can't allow you to actually think about the narrative that's happening here and say, what the fuck? Right. This is way too weird. This is not how I would be informed about my mother, um, you know, crashing her car and like killing somebody in the process. Like this is, you know, so don't get off the line and then they can, um, hack you and get you to call and make sure that you're doing the right thing. And, yeah. um, and so on. So I think that's a, that's a really good example. Social engineering is what it's called. Social engineering. Yeah, yeah the most the most popular book is, on the topic is, is called Social Engineering: colon, the the art of human hacking or hacking humans. Oh, good. And then another thing that I yeah. was thinking is that you know I think it's really important work if you as somebody who was um, hacked or swindled in some way or anything like that is actually mm. able to. Uh, go out there and be a good listener and use these tools for the good because the people you're actually going to be in interaction with are not only benefited by having somebody who truly cares about them and doesn't do it for ultimately hacking them. Um, 
but they're also going to be to a large degree inoculated against other attempts because it's just a, a different type of consistency that it's a different time scale. I think that the people who get hacked are, like I said, it's, or at least one type of it, I guess there, there's the scamming type, but you know, people like the Tinder swindler, people like that, they are going to very quickly understand what it is you want and then promise it to you it was like clear yeah. and simple it was like oh you're into expensive cars not a problem i know i can invest three thousand dollars today to rent a lamborghini yeah. if you're going to give me thirty thousand in ten you know like two days from now and um so that is also something that i would emphasize is like give it time and make people show consistency over time rather than um fall head over heels for them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, one of, one of the most, uh, critical vulnerabilities that humans have is trust. It's, it's very, very trivially easy to gain somebody's trust. And when I say that you might be thinking like, oh, I don't like trust people. Like it takes me a long time to get used to my friends. Okay. Well, let's say you're at work and somebody comes in wearing a vest that has a badge and whatever and says they're from UPS. What is your first assumption? That they're there from UPS, right? Yeah. You've just been right. hacked. Maybe they're there from UPS. Maybe they're not. How would you know the difference? Uh, and like quick, little, little tricks like that where people show up in contexts where somebody that looks and behaves and is saying the things exactly like that person is, and that's like a trivially uh, easy example, uh, pretending to be UPS to get into access to a building that you otherwise wouldn't have. Um, well, but, thankfully, I don't have a, I don't have a past in the in the Mossad or something like that. But <laughs> I know enough <laughs> to know that you know these things how that are out of like spy films and stuff. Yeah. Like they happen every day, and oh yeah, you know that's that's the whole point. Is like these are the people you don't look at. They are the delivery persons and and so on. So it's it's all it's it it's all real and that's and that's scary and i think that is something we need to remember we are all vulnerable and mm. somebody with the right kind of scam might sting us even though we might be careful but i think if we yeah we should have a, a good sense about what's weird and that is also a good reason to develop critical thinking as a child mm. right because i think a lot of people a lot of people have a voice in their head where if they think something that's unorthodox or they do suspect that something is up with this UPS guy, there's a voice in their head that's just not empowered enough to even get heard, really. And so, um, yeah, well, I, all my life I've been told what to do, and now this guy is telling me what to do. So this is what I'm doing now. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, arming arming yourself uh, with with defenses uh, is valuable. I don't I don't know if necessarily developing the the skills of nonviolent communication helps in that, uh, but it is worthwhile. <laughs> I highly yeah, recommend I you understand why how how scams happen to protect yourself from them, uh, given yes. the number of people that have fallen for very large scams recently. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm interested in hearing if you have um, any other aspect to illuminate that we haven't got to around nonviolent communication or any kind of link that didn't come to my mind. Ooh. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Taoism, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I am. Came okay, so Taoism for the listeners who maybe don't comes uh, out of ancient China. Uh, you'll you'll hear it, the name of a uh, two two most popular Taoists that kind of started this whole philosophy slash religion are uh, Zhuangzi and uh, Lao Tzu, and they 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 came up with this idea called Wu Wei, uh, which in English sometimes gets translated to doing nothing, sometimes uh, gets translated to non-doing. But the idea of, uh, of Wu Wei is acting in accordance with the flow of the universe. And I very much think uh, Taoism is probably the, and, and Wu Wei is, is probably the second most impactful thing that's changed my relationship with other people. And I think of nonviolent communication as a way to connect with the flow uh, that's happening inside of myself and other people. So if I understand myself and what my needs are and wants are, then I can act in a way that meets those much more easily and effortlessly, in fact. Uh, and if I understand what's happening in somebody else, then the same applies. Uh, so I, I see these two ideas as like inextricably linked. <laughs> Uh, that one just makes the other easier. Um, maybe that's completely foreign to other people, but uh, I guess that's an aspect that you wouldn't get just reading nonviolent communication. Right. Now, to me, it makes complete and, and other sense. I think it's um, the, the sensitivity to like harmony versus disharmony, I think is something that connects both of this because yeah, we're ways like being able to be, you know, a, a functioning part of the universe that doesn't stand out as being problematic as something to be solved all the time. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's about being, uh, a part of a, of a healthy whole. So, yeah. Um, and that's, that's what relationships are for, you know, and every time that, um, there is this kind of discord happening in communication, then this is exactly what it is. Like we don't feel, we feel, I think a lot of the times that there are parts inside of us that are not as well lubricated as they should, and they're creaking and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then in communication with other people, if something kind of lands the wrong way, some sentence or something like that, then we find that ourselves as a whole are not actually good members of, of a society and society can be just two people for this, for this sake, you know? And, um, yeah, I think, I think I understand perfectly well how these, uh, sit together. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. This, this has been really good. Um, really looking forward to our next conversation already because awesome. now I, uh, yeah, about all the many and varied esoteric stuff we're into. That's awesome. <laughs> I look, we're I gonna... look forward to, uh, having a conversation with you as you are reading through nonviolent communication. 
Yes, I'll do yeah. it. Let's do it. Um, so I'll order it soon and we'll do, we'll make that happen. Um, yeah, Astrid, well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. I'm happy that it happened after all these months. It was oh. so worth it. And before you leave, I don't know, are there any contact details or places where your thoughts could be found online? Um, you're welcome to share it. I, I am the best place to find me is my website, which is just my name, Astrid, A-S-T-R-I-D, wild, W-I-L-D-E dot com. Um, from there, you can find like my Twitter, uh, I think, and my Substack, which is I, I publish exactly when I feel like it and no sooner. <laughs> so there's no schedule. Um, I appreciate. And uh, I'm always reachable on Twitter or email. Um, and you can find those also on my website. Yep. All right, Astrid. Well, thank you. And looking forward to next time. Always, always. Always.